0: Got your Bibles this morning. Uh, let's turn to Revelation. Let's pick up where we left off, looking at the series Unconquered. As you're standing, uh, Revelation 13. Let me say again what I said when we started our study of Revelation. One reason that I've been sometimes hesitant to preach or teach through Revelation is not that uh, I find the book scary or intimidating to approach, I think it's a, a difficult book to approach but I love this book. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. One reason I'm hesitant is so many folks want you to read into the current events something that may or may not be there or read into the scriptures something that may or may not be there. There's a mystery surrounding this. There are biblical principles that have applied to every generation, though, in the book of Revelation, past, present, and future. Well, I believe we're reading about future events, personally. I think that we would be uh, doing ourselves a disservice to leave the book of Revelation thinking that these are principles that are for somebody else in the future. And so let's read concerning, I guess I say that to say, of all the subjects when it comes to uh, people trying to read the text into current events that may or may not be unfolding at this time, and look, I know the world looks like we're living in the last days. I pray the Lord will come back soon. Um, the subject of the Antichrist, if there's ever been any subject over the past few hundred years where people have embarrassed themselves, it's this subject. So let's ask the Spirit of God to show us what he wants us to see in this text this morning. Start, we'll, we'll read the first four verses, then I'll skip down to verse 18, and we'll look at this chapter. It says, And I saw a beast coming out of the sea, He had ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems. And on his heads were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. His feet like the bear's feet or feet of a bear. His mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave him his power. Remember the dragon, that's the devil himself that we read about in chapter 12. His throne was given to him by the dragon in great authority. And one of the heads appeared to be fatally wounded. No, it was not Gorbachev. Some people looked at the birthmark and said, fatal wound, it appears like a fatal wound. Um, The people embarrassed themselves in the 80s just like they will today, but his fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? Verse 18, here is wisdom. The one who has understanding must calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a man. His number is 666, or 666. Father, we pray that uh, you would lead us into this revelation of all that you are, that each one of us here would come before you now, giving you permission to take the principles and precepts of the Word of God and change our hearts that we just, in song, presented to you, Lord. and Show us how to live as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in a very antagonistic world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And You can be seated this morning. Back in the 1980s, not only was there a lot of speculation about who the antichrist was during the uh, cold war and the fight for disarmament and everything else um, the 80's was also known for a lot of bad music the, those of us who were teenagers in the '80s can we not admit that there was just a lot of bad music in the 80's so what people like me would do is, is, is we became fans of the music of the 60's and uh, you would find me listening to oldies music if, until I at least discovered contemporary Christian music, I would, I would be listening to, to oldies music, and one particular songwriter that I liked was named Marvin Gaye. Uh, confession time, while 90% of the time you'll find my radio on Christian music or Christian preaching and talk radio and all of that, if I'm sleepy-headed down the highway, I'm putting it back on the oldies, and if I can listen to a little bit of Marvin Gaye, I'll probably stay awake and sing and cruise on down the road. Just a little confession. I'm just being honest, just being real with you. But he had one song where he uh, expressed his appreciation for his beloved's letters when he was gone and that he had her picture on the wall. That was wonderful. But he profoundly proclaimed a phrase that he did not probably intend to be something that some preacher would refer to as biblical doctrine one day, but But he came to the course and he would say, Ain't nothing like the real thing, right? Ain't nothing like the real thing. He wanted her presence more than just her pictures or her letters. This morning I'm talking about nothing like the real thing because instead of getting so caught up in identifying who the fake thing is, the Antichrist, the one way that we're going to be victorious as Christians and the way in the last days before the consummation of the ages the church will be victorious and if we're in that time or are rapidly approaching that time or as we look at the fact that scripture has always placed us in the last days we have to all come to a place where we admit that we need a knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ peter told the persecuted church of the first century Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Know who he is. So if we become infatuated with identifying Antichrist rather than in love with identifying Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, then we're not going to be able to tell the difference. Bank tellers, as we've said before, will tell you, our store clerks will tell you, there's no way to possibly memorize every type of counterfeit that's out there when it comes to money. The way you identify counterfeit money is know what the real thing looks like and how it reacts, whether you mark it with something or anything else. You have to know what the real thing is so that you recognize a counterfeit. And so I pray that a look at Revelation chapter 13 will not serve as a motivation for you to try to look at current events and determine who Antichrist is, so to speak, but more importantly, have a passion in your heart to fall more in love with Jesus Christ so that you'll recognize any counterfeit that comes along. While this book is, is Revelation, it is the Revelation of Jesus Christ, it does pull back the veil. It's an unveiling, remember. It allows us to see some things in the spiritual realm that will eventually, as we saw in chapter 12, enter into the physical realm. But they're just as real today, though we may not see them in the spiritual realm. This is still also an interlude in Revelation, a little bit of break. From the action to, meanwhile, back at the ranch, here's what's also going on while all of these other things are happening at the consummation of the ages. And last week, we saw how they defeated the dragon, the devil himself. Word of their testimony, the blood of the lamb, and they did not love their lives to the point of death. So let's not minimize the intensity of the battle. Let's not minimize or trivialize the enemy's work in the world today. He is at work in our world today. He is the prince of the power of the air. And we are to put on, Ephesians 6 tells us, the full armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes, the wicked plans of the enemy, the devil himself, and his forces of darkness in the world. What we see in chapter 13, after reading about the dragon in chapter 12 in Revelation, is we see this unholy trinity, if you will, being revealed at the close of the tribulation period. You see that the dragon in chapter twelve kind of uh, parallels on the evil side, although he would never parallel in power because he was a created being himself. But he, he kind of in this unholy trinity, the dragon parallels the father, and then we see the, the the beast or the antichrist who comes on the scene. The beast from the sea parallels the ministry of the son, and then the false prophets' ministry. Our evil ministry, if you will, parallels the work of the Holy Spirit in the world today. And don't have, uh, don't embrace some kind of uh, Mormon view that uh, Jesus and Satan were spirit brothers or on any kind of the same level in battle. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, three in one, is eternally transcendent, omnipotent, above. We saw last week that God even, owns the process by which the devil is doing his work. And so what's being revealed mattered to the first century church. It mattered to every church since, and it matters to us today. Whether we live until the consummation of the ages or not, there are biblical principles we need to learn, and the first one has to do with the desire of the enemy this morning. So we need to understand that the devil has a plan. I I love in in evangelistic language when it may have been the the little tracts that were passed out by either Billy Graham or Campus Crusade for Christ. I can't remember, but the little tract that said God loves you and has a plan for your life, and that is true, and and that's exciting. That there is a, a plan that God has for our life that we can get in on, and I pray that nobody would ever settle for less than God's plan for their life. But we also need to know. That the devil has a plan as well and and so you need to see the desire of the enemy and then we see that with this antichrist with this beast in verse one it says rising up out of the sea the sea usually was symbolic there of the gentile nations and so i don't believe that the antichrist has to be a jew probably will not be rises up it says out of the sea which likely represents the gentile nations These heads that we read about in verse 1 could represent successive empires that would come along or a collaboration of empires. And then the blasphemous names seem to refer to the desire of world leaders. Worship me. Let it be all about me and who I am and and, uh, trust in me. That's the Antichrist as he comes on the scene. Look at verse 2. You see this... Uh, description that really is a reference to uh, the book of Daniel as he kind of described how these nations would come along with Greece and uh, the Medo-Persian Empire and the Babylonian Empire and and so you have to interpret scripture with scripture and with an understanding of Old Testament prophetic language what he's saying is there will be kingdoms that lead up to the final kingdom I happen to believe that the church in Daniel's prophecy chapter 9 the church is kind of a, a parenthetical period. We're between that first Roman Empire, or the, the what were the legs of Daniel's prophecy concerning the beast, and then a revived Roman Empire during that last week of Jewish history that I suggested is probably still ahead of us during the tribulation period. And so we see these references of these empires that are, that are coming on the scene, and then you see this revived Babylon or a revived Roman Empire of some kind that stands against the Christian faith, that stands against all that Christ represents. His kingdom is the kingdom of Antichrist here. And so in verse 3, perhaps uh, these nations begin to fade, but it says on his, one of his heads it appeared to be a fatal wound. Maybe, maybe a nation appears to fade or maybe a ruler appears to fade, but his fatal wound will be healed. Maybe there's the appearance of a resurrection of a world leader. The whole earth is amazed at what happens. Perhaps the whole world is sympathetic toward this leader. And says, well, he's got to be a great guy. You know, he came back from the dead. This nation has been revived from the dead. And it reemerges. And likely... The Antichrist himself has here experienced some miraculous survival or some recovery. What is he all about? What is his purpose? See, he's also purpose-driven. He also has a mission. And the first thing that you need to recognize is he desires adoration. He desires adoration. Look at verse 4. They worship the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying... Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? Now, while the Antichrist himself may not be on the world scene in a way that we would know or even care about today, I think that reminds us of a temperament, of an attitude we need to be real careful of, and that is when someone has a Messiah complex, and they say, I want to be worshipped. I want everybody to trust in me. And people begin to desire adoration. As a church we need to point people to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Their hope is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. But Antichrist will desire adoration. He will also desire authority in verse 5. A mouth was given to Him to speak boasts and blasphemies. He was also given authority to act for 42 months, that three and a half years. He's desirous of authority, and finally he desires to attack believers, verses 6 and 7. He began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his dwelling and those who dwell in heaven. And he was permitted to wage war against the saints. Remember, he had to have permission. God is still sovereign over this process. But he's permitted to wage war against the saints to conquer them. Going back to chapter 12, how do we remain unconquered? By the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. Love not our lives to the death. He was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. This Antichrist will become a world leader. And he will be built up and pumped up for everything that you would say Jesus one day deserves. Antichrist will appear to have that only for a short time. Counterfeit. And he's bringing an attack on religious freedom, attack on the faith, attack on believers. When I was in 12th grade, we had a government project. You, you had a long list of topics you could choose to do your government project, and it was a fairly extensive. I think my 12th grade government project was probably as extensive as almost any project that I had in college. And you had to do all of this research, and then you had to bring the, uh, the paper to the teacher and give an oral presentation in class. And one of the options that we had to choose from, and no two students could choose the same, but I was quick to choose this, this option, it was the occult. And I thought, I want to study Satanism and the occult. Later I found myself saying, why did I do this? Man, you talk about it. Uh, Stuff that I had laid out all over our dining room table in our house and and pictures and images and stories and articles of uh, Satanism and things that were happening in the world and and the crimes that were taking place, it became a very oppressive thing to me. But I remember when I gave the oral presentation here at Madison County High School, at the end of the oral presentation, we got to give our personal opinion of how it impacted our lives to study this particular subject. And I said, it made me a stronger believer in Jesus Christ. It strengthened my faith in Christ. And when the teacher said, Oh, yeah, yeah, really? How? It's like, Thank you very much for asking. I said, Because what's interesting about Satanism and the occult is they are clearly out to counterfeit and attack the Christian faith. He's not after Islam. He's not after Buddhism. It doesn't seem like the devil's trying to attack any of these other religions in the world today. He's not trying to tear down Hinduism. He is trying to counterfeit and destroy and attack the Christian faith. And I had studied the occult enough to know that the devil was real and that he was at work in the world. Even in, in this uh, ministry of dealing with foster children, the things that you've described tells you that, wow, the devil is real and he's alive and he is at work. We see what he's doing in this world today. And listen, if there's anything that he seems to be afraid of, it's that his days are numbered and Jesus is coming. And so that tells me that the sovereign creator and ruler of the universe is the one that he fears. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it strengthens my faith in him. Remember, his goal is going to be to get people to identify with him. So our goal as a church, listen, our goal as Christians is not to identify antichrist it's to make sure we don't identify with him it's not to identify antichrist Say that's him I see it. it may not be in our lifetime and it may not be while the church is on the face of the earth per se but we identify with the antichrist today if we're not careful when we want the world to revolve around us we're identifying with antichrist When we intimidate, what did he want? He wanted authority, right? When we intimidate, when we lead through manipulation, when we embrace a certain type of authoritarianism that Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew chapter 20 when he said, look, the the Gentiles lord it over them. They're oppressive in their leadership. They were arguing as a jockey for position. He says, you're not to be that way. You're to be a servant. And so when we refuse to have a servant's heart, and kind of demand authority and and, and bring this authoritarianism into areas of leadership in the church, in the home, in our businesses, then we're identifying with Antichrist. In 1 Peter chapter 5, pastors are told not to lead by compulsion, not to lead by intimidation, manipulation, but to be an example to the flock, to serve at the pleasure of our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. So so I want you to be aware of those desires because we have to be careful not to identify with him while we're trying to identify him. Secondly, I want you to see the deception of the enemy. The deception of the enemy. As you kind of continue to look at this passage on down in verses 11 and following. Then I, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb but he sounded like a dragon. He exercises all authority of the first beast on on his behalf and compels the earth. See how this parallels the work of the Holy Spirit, yet he's working for Antichrist, he's working for the dragon. Look at verse 13. He also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth before people. He deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that he is permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the sword wound yet lived. He was permitted to give a spirit to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He requires everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. A lot of speculation about that, and so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of his name. So these verses introduce this third person of an unholy trinity. In chapter 16 and 19 and 20, we begin to see His description further unveiled as the false prophet who will also be judged forever with the devil, the dragon, and the the antichrist. His role appears much like that of the Holy Spirit. He appears religious and moral, but what is he doing? He's deceiving. He appears religiously powerful, but he is satanically deceptive. John makes note of his miracles, and John makes note of his mark. He notices in verses 13 through 15 that we read that he's performing miracles. Isn't it interesting that Romans says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God? It doesn't say faith comes by miracles. Do I believe God is still in the miracle-making business? Absolutely. Do I believe God is able to do miracles today that would blow our minds? You better believe it. But Jesus warned that it's a, a, a perverse generation that demands a miracle. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if we were as hungry for the word of God as we were miracles, we would not be so deceived. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 21, 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these signs and wonders in your name and miracles? And he said, I will tell them on that day, depart from me into eternal darkness, you workers of iniquity. He says, I never knew you. The gospel, the truth of the scriptures has got to be essential in our avoiding deception. So beware of his miracles. Not only beware of his miracles, it says beware of his mark. Verses 16 and 17 describe that mark, whether it's on the hand or the forehead. Whether it's literal or symbolic, it was certainly a pledge of allegiance to the world power of that day and a denial of one's faith. I love my country, and I stand and pledge allegiance to our flag. We will do that Wednesday night with Awana. But if I'm ever uh, told as a preacher of the gospel that I have a choice between the nation that I love, that I'm called to minister in and to and through, if I have to choose between that nation or the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm taking the gospel every time. I'm standing on the word of God every time, and my allegiance will be to the king of this universe, not to the president of the United States. I'm not saying the next president's going to be Antichrist. You'll hear that said. It was said with Ronald Wilson Reagan. After all, all three names had six letters. Ronald Wilson Reagan. 666. Reagan is the Antichrist, right? Probably the farthest thing from it from any president that we've ever had. Yet he was labeled that because people reading too much into this. Don't be deceived by his miracles and beware of this mark, this allegiance to world powers. The, The false prophet is the personification of the Spirit. Of Antichrist. I want you to see this because you'd say, well, hey, I am a premillennial, pre tribulational. Some of you are like, I've always been, and others are going, I don't even know what that means. But I'm a pre tribulational Christian. I believe the rapture is going to happen and I'm not even going to be here so I don't have to worry about it. Oh, yeah? Listen to this. Now, by the way, I happen to be in your camp. (laughs) I, I believe that I'm going to be raptured out of here before the literal tribulation period. However, Try telling some people around the world today that they're not going to have to go through the tribulation and they'd say, you mean it gets worse than this? Look at these words in 1 John chapter 4. Now, we all know verses 7 and 8, right? We sang it as a kid, beloved, let us love one another. Love of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves God, you know, we love that passage. But what about what John says leading up to that? It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. When we say that Jesus Christ is the virgin-born Son of God, lived a literal sinless life before us, died on a cross, rose from the grave, is alive and well, then we're on the right track. But he says, every spirit who does not confess that Jesus, uh, confess Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist. You have heard that he is coming, and he is already in the world now. First century. The spirit of Antichrist was already in the world. He says, You are from God. Little children, you have conquered them because the one who is in you. You know this one is greater than the one who is in the world so we live with confidence not with fear right they are from the world therefore what they say is from the world the world listens to them we are from god anyone who knows god listens to us anyone who is not from god does not listen to us from this we know the spirit capital s the holy spirit of truth and the spirit small s of deception so if you don't want to be deceived, walk hand in hand with Jesus Christ. And instead of opening the newspaper or logging on to the latest news and saying, let me see if I can see the work of Antichrist, open up your scriptures and ask Jesus for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit and say, Jesus, I want to know you, I want to be so filled with you that I have your wisdom and your discernment and that I would not be deceived. So we're deceived when we're just simply not walking with the one who loves us and gave himself for us. You might write in the margins of your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verses 1 through 10, as it describes this false prophet as he comes on the scene. Then we come back to Revelation chapter 13, and the final thing I want you to see this morning there's, there's discernment for the saints for those who come to faith in Christ during the tribulation period there there's something that they get that nobody else gets and he says herein is wisdom here's how you can have this sermon the one who has understanding must calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a man it's it's not trying to be complicated here now this number this mark may one day be a literal number maybe uh, because when you think of the the early language, when you think of Hebrew and the Greek languages and all of that, uh, the numbers had—I mean, the letters had numerical values—and and so maybe there is some way to add up six hundred sixty-six with what is written and something in this mark. But the point of the number is that it's a number of a man; that it's that it falls short; that it's a counterfeit; that six is a number of incompletion; seven is a number of perfection. Six means almost, almost got it, but you fall short. It's a number of incompletion, imperfection. Three is a repetitious number. Repeat it three times to nail it down. Get this, get this, get this. Six, six, six. His name, his number falls short. So we need wisdom. We need divinely revealed truth right here in this passage. Now, the number may represent Humanity's imperfect attempt at perfection. See, going back to that passage, and I'll just read the end of it in, second, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This description of the man of lawlessness, the false prophet that comes on the scene. In verse 10, it says, With every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. In other words, they didn't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, so they fell victim to the Antichrist and the false prophet. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false. When they rejected the gospel... I believe that's even a word of warning for those of us here today. You say, I can put off getting saved. I don't have to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ today. One day, hey, listen, if the rapture happens, you better believe at that moment, I'm going to give my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. He says, no, you won't. You rejected the gospel. You had the opportunity. And so when everything would have been made so clear, all of a sudden a great delusion is sent by God himself, and it's not so clear anymore so that they will be condemned, verse 12, those who did not believe the truth but enjoyed unrighteousness. See, see the discernment of the saints, well, that's last days, right? They're going to figure out this whole 666 thing. No, we live out this biblical principle today when we say, you know what, I'm not going to put off being in right relationship with God. Whether I'm a born-again child of God who has strayed and I need to get back into fellowship with Him, or whether I am someone who has never trusted Christ and saying, one day I'll get around to it. We need to realize how the deceiver works and how God will even allow the delusion to be permitted among those who have rejected his gospel. Listen, the, the mark could be in any form. It could be a tattoo. I know tattoos scare a lot of people, so it may, maybe the mark will take the form of a tattoo. Maybe it will be one of these chips that they put under your skin because, after all, Uh, We can know all of your health care needs by having a... I I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. It could be an app on your phone, as far as I know, because the phone has become an appendage for so many of us anyway. That's why the Social Security number made a lot of people nervous. Anybody remember maybe a grandparent or great-grandparent telling you that the Social Security numbers made them real nervous? Mark of the Beast. Anybody remember that? Some of you are old enough to remember that. You're like, oh, I didn't mean to raise my hand. Old enough. (laughs) The spirit of Antichrist attacks everything that we're about. Why will the saints get it? It's because they know Jesus, and they recognize a counterfeit. And they hold fast, and I want to conclude by reiterating, I don't think we can say this enough, 12, 11. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 that we saw last week is the key to our staying unconquered and living the unconquered life in the midst of all of this, whether you are a tribulation saint in the future, whether you went through a, a period of tribulation in the first century, or where you're part of the li- church of the living Lord today, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They stayed close to the cross. The word of their testimony. They didn't back away from their confession. They were not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they loved not their lives to the death. They were willing to give everything. Willing to give everything. To identify with Christ. What about you? Where are you at in that process? Would you bow your heads with me?